0: Body Bags, with Joseph Scott Morgan. I was thinking the other day, back when I was in elementary school, one of the biggest thrills of the year is when the sixth graders began to sell candy, these big candy bars, and they were trying to fund a trip so the sixth grade could take a trip to Washington, D.C. all together. Man, those candy bars were great. Had raisins and nuts in them. You could just get plain chocolate if you wanted. And it is a treat when you're a child and you get a candy bar. But the case I'm going to talk to you about today involving a precious little girl named Savannah Harden. She got a candy bar. She was forbidden from getting candy bars by her family. And ultimately, the fact that she chose to eat that candy bar, led to her death. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. With me again today is my good buddy Jackie Howard, executive producer of Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Tell us about this precious little angel, Savannah.
1: Savannah Harden lived with her grandmother and her stepmother. There had been ongoing divorce and custody issues between Savannah's parents. And Savannah had a medical condition called bladder reflux. The condition was exacerbated by caffeine. But Savannah loved chocolate. But because she had this medical condition, she was forbidden from eating chocolate because no one wanted to make her condition worse. However, Savannah was given a chocolate bar and then she lied to her family about whether or not she ate it. When it became known that she did indeed eat chocolate, the punishment for that given to her by her grandmother was to run. They made this child run around the house continuously carrying logs for over three hours. Savannah seized and then died. The family called 911. EMTs tried to resuscitate her, but Savannah did die at the hospital after running for over three hours. Let's talk about this kind of exercise on an average person, let alone. A
0: nine-year-old. Yeah, you know, I was I was giving some, some thought to this, Jackie, when I began considering this case for body bags, and uh, I had to think, at, you know, years ago when the Olympics were, were in Atlanta, uh, outside the medical examiner's office, I remember it was a Sunday morning, and they had the, the route for the men's marathon, came right by the office. It was one of the final days of the Olympics, and I was watching those fellows run, and they run like gazelles, you know, And I I thought about it for a long time. I'd been in the army. I used to have to run great distances, you know, when I was a young man. But I began to think about what this little girl went through. And this is three hours of constant movement. And just to kind of frame it for you, the, the women's marathon record, now this is a record, and this is for women that are in really shape really great shape these are adult women the The world record is two hours and fifteen minutes and that that's that's running twenty six point five miles. Jackie, just let that number settle in with you. This little baby had run for three solid hours, and granted she was running around the yard. But the entire time the entire time she was running out there, the grandmother who by the way, her name's Joyce Harden. Gerard, she's out in the yard smoking cigarettes and yelling at this little girl to pick up the pace keep moving as if she's some kind of drill sergeant and like you had mentioned she had her pick up sticks of firewood and the running is bad enough but when they finally began to examine Savannah's arms you could actually see the little abraded areas that line up with the grain of this wood that she was forced to carry you know the bark would leave a mark if it's split wood you've got the grain of the wood that has splinters in it and everything and you could see these little abraded focal abraded areas on the on on her forearms and appreciate what she was having to do so let's just think about this just for a second not only do you have somebody telling you to stay in perpetual motion, but you're also having to carry weight. You're not just carrying your body weight for this protracted period of time, but you're also cradling this wood that is causing a strain on your upper body as well. So you combine those two things and what do you get at the end? Well, any kind of stored energy that you have in your body, like any kind of caloric intake that you've taken on in the past few hours is being burned up at a much more rapid rate. In addition to that, all of the fluids in your body, all of those things at a molecular level like the electrolytes that keep your body in balance, all of those are being consumed. So with each step that she takes in this protracted period of time, her life is literally kind of ebbing away because there's no replenishment, Jackie. This child was never allowed to stop. She was never given a break until finally she fell to the ground crying, Jackie, and then she seized.
1: The imagery that you're describing there is is very difficult to hear, but let's back up and discuss what her physical ailment was that started this problem with her grandmother. She had bladder reflux. What does that mean?
0: Well, it's a a condition that that many uh, little girls uh, suffer from. You you also have older women as well, but it's a it's a uh, it impacts the bladder to the point where you can't tolerate things uh, like caffeine in particular. It it creates the sensation of needing to void your bladder at all times, and caffeine just further exacerbates this. And some of the things that it can lead to are urinary tract infections. Uh, uh, you can develop fever. You know, as anybody that's had a UTI, they can attest to a fever because sometimes that's associated, particularly if it gets out of hand. You've, you've also got pain and, and burning, you know, it comes along with the urination. There's frequent urination, but th- this, is, this is what I think is the real problem here and what is the real issue. I think it's the fact that if she ate chocolate, it's going to prompt her to urinate. She's eight years old, and I think she had messed the bed. I think that that's what had been happening, and it was an inconvenience. And sometimes because of this this bladder reflux condition, you don't necessarily have to have chocolate on board for it to occur. You can just spontaneously urinate, during the night, you're not aware of it, particularly at this age. And it, it's, a, it's a, a problem that impacts a lot of people.
1: Joe, is bladder reflux treatable in general?
0: Well, I think that it can be diet controlled. And that, that's really the generally advice that physicians give. They have, they have people stay away from things that have caffeine. You know, you can't have sodas. You're not going to be able to have coffee. Uh, and anything that essentially contains uh, high high levels of caffeine in it. And so it's diet controlled. And many times what will happen is as children, for children in, in particular, they will start off with this condition. And as they continue to progress through their development, um, it, it will kind of resolve over a period of time. Uh, I suppose that there are some types of, uh, surgical procedures that, that could be done, um, but for the most part, they're trying to control this with diet without having to go through the extreme steps of of surgical intervention. And many times, like I said, it's a developmental issue from a physical standpoint, and it will eventually resolve Say that this is a grim case. I think is an understatement. But I, I'd kind of like to go back and talk about the the specific events of the day, kind of the timeline and and what actually occurred leading up to this seizure event.
1: Joe, you were telling us earlier that Savannah was not allowed to stop, and that she was not given water while she was running. We know that the body needs water or, number one, on a hot day, um, you'll be dehydrated, and that in itself can lead to seizures. Is that what happened to this little girl?
0: Yeah, actually, it is, Jackie. And, you know, like I said earlier, not only are you burning, say, calories that you take on in the food that we eat or maybe some caloric-rich drinks that you're taking on board – uh, you think about carbohydrates and those things that you burn in the short term, you know, that kind of give you an energy, certainly that chocolate bar that she had eaten, you know, immediately prior to, to these events taking place, that would be a heavy sugar and carb load. So that would burn off relatively quickly, but any kind of long-term uh, uh, food that you might have in your body or caloric storage that you have would, would burn off. But then you couple this with this absence of water or being rehydrated in this particular case. Well, what are you losing through that? Well, as I mentioned earlier, you're losing electrolytes. And electrolytes are a variety of things. Most notably, you know, we've got sodium and potassium in particular. And when you become dehydrated, those are leaving the body as well. And so how do they leave the body? Well, primarily uh, they're leaving the body uh, through uh, through actual sweating, uh, perspiration, and then they're they're vaporizing and they're gone. Uh, so, and your body's processing these; they need them at a molecular level. These electrolytes, in order to maintain balance uh, within our metabolic system, to keep the heart functioning correctly, to keep the brain functioning correctly, you can have kidney severe kidney problems, and that's generally where where you'll first begin to sense dehydration and and folks might be familiar with this. I'll give you an example when people void or urinate normally um, the urine will have kind of a yellow color to it. One of the things that the kidneys will actually do relative to dehydration, it will take those fluids that have been uh, processed already, kind of recycle them if there's no water uptake and when you do finally void in a state of dehydration, the urine actually turns a darker brown and people will see this and they'll make note of that. They say that to their doctor regularly and the doctor will automatically say, well, you're dehydrated. You need to take on more, more fluids. But the absence of sodium in your system is a major problem because it, it literally impacts the way your heart functions and the way your brain functions. Even people don't, don't really understand that. So um, as you become dehydrated, you're losing these electrolytes. And here's here's kind of an interesting little aside a lot of people don't understand is the brain itself has a composition of over 70% water. Isn't that something? Over 70% water. So as your body is literally being starved of water and sodium, and potassium, and these other electrolytes, your brain is, you know, you can just imagine, the brain is actually wondering what's going on. And so with the brain going through this state of dehydration, some of the things that will actually begin to happen is that people will become delirious. Um, They won't recognize people many times. they'll, They'll kind of go into this kind of, uh, zombie-like state where they're they're looking off in the distance and if dehydration persists for a protracted period of time uh, the, you'll see the eyes actually kind of uh, sink into the sockets a bit uh, so you're losing you're losing water and it is uh, a life-giving substance that not just contains the molecular composition of h2o but it also contains electrolytes and so the brain begins to shut down. Uh, Your ability to speak many times, your speech will become slurred and all of these sorts of things. And with Savannah, one of the things that occurred is that while she was running around this home over and over and over again, just cycling over and over again, right before she collapsed, she was weeping uncontrollably. And it's at that point in time that it was witnessed that she fell to the ground and went into a seizure. Now, according to the reports from the scene, the grandmother then marched over to Savannah, who's laying on the ground, essentially unresponsive, probably in a state of rigidity, maybe has her tongue clenched. There's classic signs that you think when you see a seizure. And she's yelling at her, get up, get moving, move on like that. There's even one report that she swatted her while she was laying on the ground. It's at that point in time that the stepmother called 911.
1: The seizure, Joe, was it caused by lack of water, lack of electrolytes, lack of sodium and potassium, or a combination of all of that caused the seizure?
0: It was uh, a combination of all those things, and as it kind of comes together, there's a condition that's referred to as hyponatremia, and as a result, hyponatremia actually results... Uh, from this absence of sodium in the system, these low sodium levels, which have been documented uh, over the course of Savannah's subsequent hospital stay and uh, her, uh, her autopsy as well. And when the condition of hyponatremia sets in, you'll actually have patients that will seize and then the next step beyond the seizure Is actually, they slip into a coma at that point in time. And then, of course, once you get to coma, uh, when in a medical context, um, once hyponatremia has led to the seizures and and the coma, it's really, really difficult to pull these patients back from the doorstep of death.
1: Are sodium and potassium an electrolyte or are they just an element of an electrolyte? You know, you and I have talked in depth off. Mike about what an electrolyte is as we've discussed various cases and I really honestly still don't understand it
0: yeah the uh, sodium and potassium are in fact um, electrolytes uh, but um, there there are actually other electrolytes as well uh, you have uh, magnesium and calcium and chloride essentially that that makes up the five. Uh, electrolytes that we consider, in, particularly in, in, in uh, treatment of patients um, as these are kind of bleeding out of their bodies. And you're preached to on a daily basis in the dietary supplement market, uh, exercise recommendations, these sorts of things about replenishing electrolytes. There's an entire industry that is made up of these sports drinks that are out there, and they're supposed to be infused with electrolytes, that gives you an idea as to how critical they are to keep us in balance throughout systemically, uh, so that our heart can in fact function. This keeps open kind of these neural pathways, and this is all going on at a molecular level. We're very gently balanced. You know, we're we're, we're very resilient and rugged. You know, our, our our persons are. But when you subject a child, a child, a mere child to this kind of rigor uh, that she's having to go through, all of these systems, all of these elements begin to become um, diminished to the point where you can't draw back from it. There's nothing that you can do unless you can get this individual prior to going in to a seizure, if you can hook them up to an IV, certainly orally, if you have something on hand like an electrolyte uh, replacement, do that, or at minimum, give them water. But of course, in Savannah's case, she was never given an opportunity to rest or to take on any fluids. I don't know if the grandmother in Savannah's case actually knew what she was stepping off into when she began to subject Savannah to what what I call torture it was a protracted period of torture with a small child but you know in the end it it wound up killing her
1: I don't think most people have an idea that you can exercise to death Savannah's is not the only case where we have seen Children forced to exercise. We have a little boy, a six year old, whose father called him fat and made him run on a treadmill. And essentially, the same thing happened. The little boy collapsed and then he died. So, we have talked about the effect on the body and the heart, but what happens to the brain, Joe, during all of this exercise and the loss of electrolytes? If the heart is affected this significantly, what happens to the brain?
0: You know, Jackie, all, all of our systems are, you know, are interconnected. They're not standalone systems. They are they have an interdependency upon one another in order to function. So with a case like Savannah's, you know, her, her kidneys would have begun to shut down. She would not have been able to process uh, urine uh, waste in a normal manner, just like her her intestines particularly people that have dehydration they'll they'll actually begin to experience severe stomach pains and diarrhea and cramps and all these horrible things uh, the liver is actually compromised as well uh, the heart you can actually have um, an electrical episode with the heart where the heart uh, uh, actually begins to spasm and can lead to death but I don't think there's any organ in our body that is more critically impacted than the brain. And, you know, as I'd mentioned, the brain itself, uh, is, uh, is roughly 70% water in composition. I think that people, you know, just sit back and they think the brain is just one huge piece of tissue. Uh, It's not, it's not gray matter and white matter and gyri and sulci and all those anatomical parts that we talk about at autopsy. Um, the brain is composed of water and so absent water, which Savannah obviously wasn't taking on board, and with water, you know, comes those life-giving electrolytes. The brain's response is to actually swell. Now, we have swelling that occurs under many different conditions. When particularly when we're doing uh when we're examining cases from a forensics perspective, I've been in the morgue any number of times over the years where You'll have patients that will present that have had gunshot wounds, they've been struck in the head, and what happens is that you'll get this intracranial pressure that rises and there's swelling inside the skull. This is, this is The skull is very unforgiving. The skull is rigid. We don't think about our skull most of the time. People like me do when it comes to trauma and when it comes to events like Savannah's case. It doesn't give at all. It is a rigid bony structure. So, as this very delicate soft tissue of the brain is literally strangulated uh, from lack of water, it actually begins to swell. It becomes edematous. The cells are literally screaming out in there. And when a brain begins to swell, there's nowhere for it to go. Now, sometimes in cases of trauma, you'll see that. Surgeons will place into skulls what are referred to as burr holes. They'll drill little holes in the skull to relieve pressure and they'll insert an inter- intracranial uh, pressure monitor. But talking about Savannah, these events with her occurred so quickly. And there was, they were in a very rural area. And when they finally got to the scene, and drove her to the hospital, which was some distance away in an ambulance. She's, uh, she's in a, a comatose state at this point. She's essentially neurologically unresponsive. They made the determination that they were going to try to stabilize her as best they could. And all the while, that clock is ticking. Her brain is swelling up more and more and more. till finally, they made the critical decision to put her on a lifelight and get her to Children's Hospital in Birmingham, Alabama. But by that time it was it was essentially too late because so much damage had been done and that's that's one of the problems with with this intracranial pressure, the swelling of the brain that occurs if it cannot be alleviated in any way, you've now crossed over that boundary to where you cannot recover and even if you could still keep them alive, they're going to be so compromised neurologically that their quality of life is going to be really compromised. And so that's that's the decision the decision that Savannah's grandmother made that day at that house wound up in the death of Savannah and it it, it wasn't a a quick death, Jackie. It was torturous to say the very least.
1: What clues should the adults have noticed to to say Maybe this is not a good idea. What physiological events would they have noticed?
0: I think that the first thing is, is that just at a baseline understanding, you understand that human beings can't go for, for three hours at a time, particularly little ones. It's just, it's, it's not acceptable. You, you have people in special forces training that don't go go for this protracted period of time having to carry wood of all things in their arms. Even those rugged types, you know, they get a break at some point in time. How much more so for a little precious child? So an adult should have been fully aware of that. I think that an adult that was certainly maybe in tune with their own body and understanding what movement meant at this level would know that 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 would compromise you pretty quickly. Um, And the fact that the child is wailing out in the yard, she's begging. You know, the entire time, you know, there's a there's a point in time when I think that with the discipline of children, where children, you know, they're begging to get out of the corner if they're in timeout. Okay, they're being punished. I don't want to do this anymore. I've learned my lesson. Please let me return to the fold here. That's you know, you got that kind of begging. But when you you see a child that is in literally Jackie, we're talking about in perpetual motion for three hours, nonstop. And you know, an interesting little aside here is that one of the neighbors actually stated that they witnessed the child running around in the yard. Now, you know, it's one thing to look over in your neighbor's yard and see children playing, but you know, when you, I I can only imagine the horror of this neighbor. They they they're probably thinking back to that moment in time. You know, they see this little girl continuing to do revolutions out in the yard. Maybe they didn't notice the wood that she was you know, toting around in her arms. But they could see her going around and around and round. You walk away for from the window for maybe an hour or so, you come back, she's still in motion. How How is it that those that are in control of Savannah, and I mean her grandmother and her stepmother that was physically there at the scene, how could they not have been aware? The stepmother allegedly was playing on her phone and was on her laptop the entire time. She never interdicted the situation. She never stepped in. She never stepped in and said, this needs to stop right now. And if it had been stopped, there's a good chance. And you sat that child in the, in the shade, you gave her a cold drink of water. There's a good chance she might have recovered, but not in this case.
1: So would her body have been flushed would she have been sweating or would she been hot or cold? Because I do know that sometimes with heat exhaustion, the body actually feels cold as yeah, opposed does. to being hot.
0: You're right on the money, Jackie. You're right on the money. And that's one of the things that happens. They People will become flushed. And at some point in time, it's not like you have an infinite supply of fluids in your body. And, and in Savannah's case, her her skin... Uh, would have been cool to the touch at that moment in time. Uh, it would have felt clammy, but not wet. You know why? Because all of the fluid in her body had evaporated at that point in time. And again, you have to go back to uh, if, if they had just taken the time to stop her and speak to her for a moment, you probably would have seen that she may have been dizzy. Um, she may have been slightly disoriented. Sometimes people that are suffering from severe dehydration have a very difficult time of uh, recognizing even familiar people, and that's, that's, that's a big tell. I mean, just think about it. We have family members. If you walk up to a family member and you say something to them and they look at you blankly like they can't recall your name, you know something's going on. But that assessment was never made in Savannah's case. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan and this is Body Bags.